0: Mr. Gorbachev, teared down this wall.
1: So, we're going to build it. Who's going to pay for the wall?
0: 100%. By the way,
2: 100%. We flipped our finger to the king of England. We stole our country from the Indians. We got on our side and guns in our hands. Took it for Sickest joke I know listen up man, I'll tell you who I am just another stupid american you don't wanna listen you don't wanna understand so finish yourself up- Can't upon the sun, straight to hell we go. Listen up, man, I'll tell you who I am. Just another stupid American. You don't want to listen, you don't want to understand. So finish up your drink and go home. Listen up, man, I'll tell you who I am. Just another stupid American. You don't want to listen, you don't want to understand. So finish up your drink and go home. Finish up your drink and go home. It's, uh, it's uh,
3: calm, it's quiet. It's uh it's the Saturday of a long weekend. I mean, it really can't get any better. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're talking about such happy, pleasant subject matter.
4: Well, uh last time we spoke, we promised that we would do something more uplifting uh-huh. than, than our last conversational topic. <laughs> so how about global thermonuclear war? <laughs> how about a nice game of chess? <laughs> <laughs> i'm more down for that yeah let's do that <laughs> and if you uh are brand new to the show and are not in the facebook group you might have guessed uh everyone else knows we are talking about 1983's war games today that's just in- i'll probably if we end up rambling for a half hour before officially starting <laughs> the show i'll i'll reiterate that but
3: I, I didn't want to interrupt your uh, your intro there but yeah uh-huh. war games it's, you know I don't know about you but like war games was sort of that uh one of those movies in the 80s which seemed to be just kind of like a general part of the pop culture uh uh landscape in that it was on TV a lot because it's rated PG you know it's 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 uh, uh we'll talk about the, the the whether we both think it's good or not in a little bit I'm sure but for me it's just like I can remember it almost as long as I've been alive. It just seems to have always been part of of uh, the kind of movies I've been watching. But the strange thing about revisiting it throughout my lifetime is that it's, take on, it's taken on a bit of a different pallor as I've moved on, um, because uh, I think because I was born in 1980 and uh, the fall of the Soviet Union was basically – it was happening right as I was gaining some sort of political consciousness, even on a very basic level, that – this, the, the content of war games and the fear that's kind of instilled in it I always felt a little distant from myself. But now coming back to it, boy, it it felt like that fear just kind of, it kind of reasserted itself while watching it this most recent time.
4: <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, similar here. I was starting to get a little bit more of a an awareness, you know, watching the Berlin Wall come down. And I mean, a lot of, wi- I don't want to say wild stuff. But, you know, when we were kids, there was, you, there was the Burn-win, the Berwin Law, the there,
3: <laughs> there oh, was, that one. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> a lot of people don't talk about that.
3: <laughs> Distant cousin of the Berlin Wall, but, you know, still pretty important.
4: Yep. Yep. The Berwin Law and the Berlin Wall. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, Waco, Unabomber, the Lucasville Prison Riot.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Once you latch on to that news cycle and the kind of the, the larger events, you know, and the Rodney King riots and all that. I, I mean, it 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 just seems to. I mean, you st- you end up defining your life by those events in some ways. It's one of the reasons I like going back and watching old episodes of Law and Order because they do so much rip from the headline stuff, even though a lot of it is very ridiculous, especially as the series goes on. But it's it's almost a way to to kind of uh, to revisit what were the big news stories of those individual years? Because sometimes they get a little bit buried, right? I mean, I can remember things like the ones you mentioned, but uh, but sometimes you'll watch it and you'll remember um, something that was like this massive news story for about six weeks, and then it moved on, like the, the Washington sniper a few years ago, um, which people seem to have mostly forgotten about. But I remember that being like that was all that was on the news for weeks and weeks.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, that – what did – that disappear as soon as we invaded Iraq again? <laughs> Here in America? Not you. Sorry. Here in hey, hey. middle <laughs> middle-Northern America? That's, that's one of the things that always threw me off, is that we just use America
3: like we're the only one. Well, I've got some issues with America. <laughs> <laughs> now you know, look. Um, you're right. It, uh, it's wrong, and it's slightly hypocritical, but we are also all in this together, and that's one of the things that's also kind of blankly on display in war games that uh, um, you know, there was a a line from a Billy Bragg song where, you know, the the fate of the great United States is embroiled in the fate of us all. Right. We're all, if something, if the U S fucks up, we're, we're fucked. Like Canada's fucked too. So uh, mostly we watch from afar with like a, a look of horror on our face, especially recently, but we also have to recognize that we have to be a partner in some way because uh, as soon as Donald Trump says something so stupid to North Korea that it, they start, you know, uh, taking military action, then we have to decide what's going to happen next, and it's going to be bad for everybody. Yeah, um... I don't, I don't necessarily believe that specific scenario is going to happen, but it's also, but you know, the reality is, and this was true in the the 80s, in the end of the Cold War, as well, is that you know the the Russia and the United States are going to fuck the entire world if they fuck each other. <laughs>
4: And they're they're easing back into the same sort of vibe. I feel like I remember having in the '80s.
3: Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 no longer a bipolar relationship with two kind of major superpowers. Now there's a number that are uh, competing, but it's China and the U.S. are still major. And and then you have who's going to partner with these major superpowers, and when's it going to turn into something uh, that that creates a conflict, but um certainly recent events in the US um political sphere does not give me a lot of hope that the US will be um maintaining its look the US is always involved in some sort of war but that they won't be starting a conflict within the next like 4 or 5 years it seems like it's almost inevitable at this point
4: oh the the filling up of the war cabinet with
3: uh, yeah totally what a shame that, I mean, it's a good thing they didn't uh, vote for that Warhawk, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so, now, <laughs> so now they can luck out. Look, uh, whatever your feelings are, this is not a positive development. It's, it, it's a really scary time. Um, and I feel like in some ways we're so steeped in irony, especially when it comes to kind of making kind of uh, uh, dark jokes about this whole thing, that we sometimes forget that. Jesus, like this is serious, and uh, and there are so many nations with nuclear weapons, and um, and and worse, <laughs> and some of them are are a bit unstable. And I mean, I think about the, the the incident that you see in war games or the number of incidents; they're not reality, but they weren't so far removed. It's not like there were no incidents where nukes were very close to being sent off. And it's just like, well, the more countries that have this potential, and the more um uh high tension situations between countries all you need is just one like it doesn't even have to be a person it could just be a mistake, right and mm-hmm. I mean, I think back to that and that's another th- incident that people forgot about remember when in Hawaii last year that uh when the alarm went off and everyone thought that the nukes were coming I mean that's that is such like that's such a mind-blowingly terrifying thing that 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 th- that's the kind of thing that will traumatize people for like a decade and it just was like, out of the news cycle the next day. (laughs) I can only imagine those people, It's like they thought they were all gonna die. And that's a a moment that's actually recreated at the end of War Games, right? Where you have these people uh, on via like a microphone where their expectation is that within 30 seconds, they're going to die. And I mean, you wonder what goes through your mind in those situations. It must be such a feeling of helplessness, but also it's like, who am I supposed to reach out for? And because of the uh, state of mass communication and social media, we see into that so often, right? I mean, you see the kids when with active shooters in their schools, they're sending out messages to Twitter, and they're getting all this this blowback on. It. It's just like, what the fuck are they supposed to do? They're trying to communicate. They're trying to tell people what's going on, and it's just like, and and people, people feel like they know what they're going to do in those situations, and the fact is, none of us do. I've
4: only been around an active shooter once, and I was not in a school. I was in the street. Sure. mm Hmm. And I, yeah, I didn't know what the fuck to do. You know, we were, we were driving home. I had just got off work. It was me and my then girlfriend, now wife. And, you know, it, it was just, yeah, driving down one of the streets that cuts along, you know, parallel here in Columbus. And then all of a sudden we heard somebody yell, they're shooting. So we slammed on the brakes and there's like pop, pop, pop. Somebody was in a shootout with the police. Right. And yeah, all we did, we just, you know, we ducked down, we, you know, tilted our seats all the way back and we just kind of laid there in the car, not knowing what to do. And then a SWAT person came up, opened the door, just started to pull us out. They said, leave your shit and run that way. And, you know, we, we ran, we ran a couple blocks to campus, actually near one of my old apartments and we had. We just sat there for, you know, three hours until it was over. And then, <laughs> yeah, it's you, you don't know what you're going to I didn't know what I was fucking doing. Yeah, it's because you're be so
3: terrified of doing the wrong thing that you're right. And, and like, what is the right thing? And and as we can see, even people who are trained in what they're supposed to do don't seem to know what to do and often do the wrong thing. And in fact, it seems more likely than not they're doing the wrong thing. And it's it's you know, it's it's a it comes out of fear and panic. And again, I'm not making any excuses for these people who do these sort of things. But it's also it's just like. Like, no one wants to be in that situation. Uh, And when you but, you know, you think when your whole um, occupation is based around being in those kinds of situations, that at least you'd make better choices than, say, uh, an average person like yourself or myself, but they don't. So it's just like, well, how maybe there is no way to prep yourself. Maybe there is no way to be prepared in those situations. And maybe you should take away the some of the abilities of the people to make worse decisions in those situations right you would think i would think look i I don't mean to be controversial here (laughs) (laughs) but since we're talking about the end of all mankind we might as well talk about the smaller aspects that make it seem like hey maybe mankind being wiped off the face of the planet might not be the worst idea in the first place that's what
4: professor
1: falcon says i'd like to share a revelation that i've had during my time here It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. The only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we. Cure. Yeah, I,
3: I like my wife pointed this out because she was watching it last night. That I like that he sets up like the projector so he could do this big presentation. He talks for 30 seconds <laughs> 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 just to get the point across. I don't care if we all die, it's probably time anyway. Um, and boy, I'll tell you, if Professor Falcon was, was around now. Um, uh, he probably – it might reassert those feelings again and be like, you know what? Maybe I was right the first time. Let's just let this thing <laughs> die and see what the next uh, – what did he say that the next – oh, the bees will probably be next. Let the bees have a shot. Jeez, yeah. we're doing a good enough job wiping them out already. Well, well
4: they're a threat to our survival.
3: Well, the killer bees <laughs> are on their way. <laughs> oh, God. It's a hell of a movie, this War Games. You know, it. I've never seen – they made um, – I believe there, there's a remake coming out. Now there's some sort of weird multimedia remake. Do you know what I'm talking about here? I, I did hear enough of that, that for a split second, I was I thought
4: about checking in with you to make sure that we were both watching the same movie, because I didn't know sure. if it was
3: out. But then I was like, no, it's you. It's, we're watching the same movie. <laughs> it's an interactive series. Uh, this is an article from 2017, so it's it's just recently... uh, Released a trailer I'm not sure if it's even out yet But it's some sort of interactive online Series that uh, It's all about hackers uh, which of course The original one was to some extent Um, And uh, I I don't really know that much about it But I'm actually very curious about it You know they also made a sort of sequel Remake in 2008 Called War Games The Dead Code Which is also a movie I uh, Have not seen before Um, But uh, it does have the Canadian actor Colm Fiore in it, so maybe I should check it out at some point. My understanding <laughs> is that it's basically just a straight remake of the uh, original movie, uh, except uh, with a lower budget and less good. So, I'm not sure <laughs> why, I, why I would necessarily want to check it out. Uh, gotta give those Canadian actors more work. Hey, you do! You know, War Games for me in the 80s, I, I don't think I took it seriously as uh, Cold War paranoia, and not really paranoia, I mean really based in, kind of deep in reality, but I didn't think of it as this uh, cautionary tale, I think I lumped it together with movies like *Cloak and Dagger* and uh, there's a, I mean, there was a lot of movies like *Gotcha*, <laughs> 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 yeah, movies that were uh, sort of uh, reality with a spin of fantasy on top of them. And of course, *Cloak and Dagger* also has Dabney Coleman in it. Maybe that's why. But but these were movies that. I think I thought of them all as just some variation of science fiction and didn't really connect them to reality because it didn't connect to my reality. And uh, revisiting it throughout the years, uh, it's weird to even think that. I think maybe all the screens and the, uh, the scenes in the video game arcades were enough to make me think, oh, this is just a whole bunch of fun. I mean, that opening scene is a very, very tense sequence. Yeah. Um, and and it, it remains so. Right. I mean, you know, and it reminded me very much of a throwback to, you know, 60s Cold War thrillers or or I mean, even non thrillers like Dr. Strangelove. But I was thinking specifically of Failsafe, which is covering a lot of the same sort of territory and is also very scary and has a very kind of really tense moments because it's all based around the idea of someone making a bad decision and ending all life on Earth. And War Games, you know, covers a lot of that same territory with with kind of a lightness and depthness and also some really weird elements to it, which is what I like most, I think, about War Games, is that uh, it, it's, you know, it's very kind of by the numbers. You can tell that the people who wrote it know the technology, even if they kind of skirt around the reality of it sometimes. But they also include some really weird stuff, which just makes it a joy to watch <laughs>
4: I was watching a couple of the documentaries on my DVD of this, mm. and it, it was pretty interesting to see the stuff because they were they were creating stuff that didn't exist yet, but they did talk to a lot of hackers, and I kind of think this the the technology and methods and things in this hold up a lot better than the movie hackers.
3: Oh, no kidding. But I mean, (laughs) you can tell that the people involved with this went on to make the movie Sneakers, which is one of the other movies that uh, portray hacking in a very realistic manner. I mean, as realistic as probably uh, a mainstream Hollywood movie would allow you to do. I mean, you can tell that they knew what they were talking about even when they were kind of exaggerating things because, you know, uh, the ability to connect to networks via your phone line, that was probably like – Beyond the pay- like, no one really knew about that in the early '80s outside of a very specific group, and uh, and like the trick of, of uh, getting the, the the phone call on the um, on the payphone using the the tin uh, the the pop tin lid. I mean, that that's something that you see in all those hacker documentaries that they all used to do, right? And I mean, this is this obviously comes from some amount of real life, either experience or uh, um, investigation.
4: Uh, they, they really did their re. The two main screenwriters whose names escape me right now, there was a lot of shakeup at the beginning of this, uh, the creation of this movie. Right. Like,
3: I think the, the screenwriters were, what, Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks. And they, they're, the both, they're the pair that went on to uh, write Sneakers, which is, again, a really great movie, by the way. Very, very uh, worthwhile, and I think kind of underrated.
4: I'm a big fan of that movie. It is on the list to do on this show, it has not been picked up by anybody yet.
3: Well, someone stole my beloved real genius, but I mean, this is a in terms in terms of of a second place. This this is not bad. I feel like we're gonna blast through the plot on this. I don't
4: know if if you've never heard of War Games, and I know people don't like saying this. Turn off my show right now, <laughs> and find it. Don't don't stop listening to me ever. I don't want you to get that that uh,
3: that idea. Let's just talk about – let's talk about nonsense for the next two hours so they can have it on the background while they're watching the movie. It is on Amazon Prime at the time that we are recording this, which is what I watched it on. So uh, it is accessible to you, the the listener, right now. So we'll – We'll just talk nonsense that has nothing to do with the movie for the next two hours. Keep it on the background. And as soon as uh, it's over, as soon as the credits hit, we'll just we'll just leap into the discussion. (laughs) Two hours later.
4: okay, War Games, 1983, (laughs) starring Matthew Broderick as David, Ali Sheedy. uh, Be still my heart, Ali Sheedy. (laughs) Dabney Coleman as Dr. McKittrick. John Wood as Dr. Falcon, based off Stephen Hawking. Falcon Hawking. I get it. (laughs) Barry Corbin as the general. I guess the general that he's based on was pretty cool. The guy, the screenwriters who got fired from the movie and then got brought back when they replaced the director. (laughs) Uh, They were touring NORAD and the guy came up and he's like, I understand you're making a movie about me he we said, "Well, we've got to we've got to get back. We don't really have time." He's like, "No, you got time for a drink." They said, "Well, we we really need to get off the mountain and back to our hotel." He's like, "Son, I've got 50,000 men under my command. I think I can get you back to your fucking hotel."
3: <laughs> I guarantee that guy in real life actually ate chewing tobacco in in, in the, the 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 war room. <laughs> Gentlemen. you can't fight in here." <laughs> <laughs>
2: can't fight in here. This is the
3: war, you know, the screenplay for this movie was actually nominated for an Oscar. So I mean, it it when we're talking about war games, this is not a movie that uh, is some sort of like hidden, uh unknown property. Obviously, it's been remade at least once uh, with with one that's currently on the way. Um, so you know, I think I feel like a lot of, the listeners of this right now would be at least somewhat familiar with this as a property. I will say that when uh, when I approached the idea of watching this last night with my wife, she was very skeptical because I think that title made her think of something that was a lot more ridiculous than what the movie is, which is which, even though it has light moments, is pretty darn serious.
4: Yeah, and some of that stuff got gets sort of missed when you're younger, like you were talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, it was hammered a little bit more home when I was younger because... This was on a tape with Failsafe, which you mentioned, mm. uh, Dr. Strangelove. And, <laughs> and it was either nearby or on the same tape with Johnny Got His Gun and Seven Days in May <laughs> and Project X.
3: Yeah. I mean, that fits it. I mean, that must have been an interesting day of HBO programming to watch. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of it, you're just hiding in the basement, just hoping that things will be okay. <laughs> My, the only, I, I don't know a lot about uh, War Games trivia, but the one piece I do know is that uh, Dr. Falcon in this was written to be played by John Lennon, which when I watch the movie now, I can't help but think about that. Even though John Woods, his performance, it's, it's he's obviously British, but doesn't have uh, uh, necessarily kind of a um, uh, the, the sort of, Liverpudlian uh, lilt that mm. uh, that John <laughs> that John Lennon would have had, but but it's still that would have been a very interesting <laughs> reality. Of course, John Lennon was sadly uh, a, a couple of years dead by the time they made this movie. Yeah, was it
4: 1981 when he was shot? I believe it was or, 1980. Or I was December 80. Yes, that would have been if he spun around in that chair and he's like, "Hello, that's
3: right." <laughs> oh, are we are we doing our John Lennon impressions?
4: We could, we could. I, I think it. The world it. should end. I think. Let, <laughs> let the dinosaurs take over. <laughs> Paul. He just spins around and he's playing. Um,
3: imagine. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The, the skies were filled with them. <laughs> <laughs> they say they couldn't fly. Anyway, that's that's as far as I'm going to go with my terrible John Lennon impression. <laughs> you missed the last ferry. <laughs> I feel like we're not doing John Lennon as much as we're doing whoever did John Lennon's voice on the old Beatles cartoon show. (laughs) (laughs) True enough. True enough. Well, I guess, you know, I want to ask before we get into it, like, do you like this movie or, I mean, like where does it rank in terms of when you think of those kind of early eighties, nostalgic classics, it's kind of weirdly timely that we're talking about this. I think, I don't know this for sure because I haven't read the book or, or seen the movie, but I believe Wargames is referenced in Ready Player One. It is one of those kind of nostalgia movies for a lot of people who grew up in the era that both of us grew up in.
4: I do like this movie. I view it, in a, like you said earlier, I view it in a different way now that I'm older and more aware of things. I remember when I was younger, especially like the very serious part where they're on Falcon's Goose Island and talking right? about the destruction of humanity and all that stuff. That used to be when I started to check out of the movie for a while. Oh, interesting. When I was a kid, I was like, oh God, just get back to the... It's... I could totally see that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
3: It feels like that's going to be a much larger part that it ends up being, right? Because it's basically, they get to the island, they have this encounter, the helicopter shows up, and then it's, let's get back as quickly as possible to where the action is happening.
4: Yeah, and I I think part of that is that that was sort of a last thought added to the movie Mm. to create, um, I forget which of the writers it was, but they were having a meeting with the director He said, "Okay, after this point in the film, it's just going to ratchet up, ratchet up, ratchet up, ratchet up. We need something to slow it down for a second and create some sort of cementing the bond between Broderick
3: and uh, Sheedy. Mm. It is kind of you can kind of feel that when watching it. Right. The idea that he he basically begs her for a plane ticket and then she drives to meet him at the place where he's landing so i mean it 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 probably does stretch belief that said everyone in this movie seemed to be fairly well off (laughs) it's a double income one kid thing right
4: yeah yeah and especially this is 1983 he's got that kind of computer set up and no job i mean how expensive i I remember when vcrs came out they were thousands of dollars i can't imagine how much his computer was
3: and his own phone line. I mean, I, I was I was going on BBSs in the early 90s, and I didn't have my own phone line. And if you
4: had, you know, an older sister. I'm
2: trying to use the phone!
3: Yeah, exactly. And, of course, she gets a car, and you get the computer. Totally unfair. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, he hacks, hacks to change his grades in both movies. <laughs> That's so—I mean, that is— That is truly a bizarre coincidence that that happens in both of those movies. Uh, I I like how they do it in this one because it is such a – again, it it feels like something taken from reality where the, the school system changes their password on a regular basis and they have it written down. Because, I mean, that's so reflective of passwords and people's security around passwords now, right? It's just a place where they change it every two weeks or whatever, write it down into place, and they don't expect any student would ever even think to write it down and then try to hack in. Yeah, get yourself sent to the principal's office. Moving an F to an A, that seems like, that's a little suspect. I think that might be a little, going a little far.
4: I think his was smarter, because he changed his to a C. Yeah. That that <laughs> makes a bit more sense. Speaking of which, that teacher is such a dick. No kidding, It's
3: <laughs> Like... Showing a, a, an F mark on a piece of paper, like to the whole class, and then mocking you for it. It's like, isn't that your failure, sir? I also like, by the way, the scene later when his parents are very pleased with his marks. And mm-hmm. and like, did they not notice that for the past week he didn't go to school at all? <laughs> <laughs> he just stayed at home uh, making phone calls and writing in passwords all day. <laughs> it's the latchkey kids.
4: I mean, did his did his parents notice that he was in Colorado getting arrested by the FBI? <laughs>
3: Uh, Actually, let's talk about those parents for a couple of minutes Simply because when I talk about the kind of odd moments in this movie It's really all around those parents Who are these broad comedic figures In a mostly very serious movie That sequence where their father is slowly uh, Using the piece of bread to put butter on the the, uh, piece of corn Only to find out that it's entirely raw (laughs) <laughs> and his wife is like, "Oh, yes, full of vitamins, ooh, you can just taste the vitamin D and he's like, "Can we just take pills and have cooked corn?" <laughs> what a fucking strange thing to include in your movie, but I just love it because it that is exactly the sort of uh um unnecessary humor that you do find in a lot of these eighties movies where it 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 switches tones." So rapidly, but I mean, I, I love it. it, and it does kind of make those parents. It makes you wonder about their backstory. I'd watch a whole movie just on their fucked up relationship.
4: I guess I sort of remember the '80s was all about you know health, self actualization, and fad sure. diets, and all that shit. There's speaking of the parents and everything, there are so many. Hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's
3: that woman in this movie. Yeah, no kidding. My 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 favorite uh, um, minor appearances in this movie, and I'm sure I'm not speaking, um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not just speaking for myself, is when uh, Maury Chaykin, uh, one of Canada's greatest actors, shows up as um, the one of the hackers, that the hacker guy that that Matthew Broderick goes to visit, and his partner in crime there is the Deez himself, Eddie deason Maury Chakin, Eddie Deason, two powerhouses on screen for a very short amount of time, never brought back into the, the plot, I felt yeah. like this should be the the T TV series is just following these two in their relationship, but I could hear Mr. I could hear uh, Maury Chicken going, "Mr. Potato Head, Mr. Potato Head." <laughs> You're giving away I'll all our
4: tricks. tricks.
3: <laughs> They're not tricks. Uh, yeah, the Eddie Deeson himself. <laughs> yeah, one of his his major appearances here <laughs> in War Games. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I'll tell you that. I, I actually uh, – just recently, Eddie Deason was on the Gilbert Gottfried uh, podcast, and I and I'm, I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm very curious about it. I follow Eddie on Facebook. Um, he's a much odder character in real life than I ever would have expected, to be totally honest with you. He does wish me happy birthday every year, which is very nice of him. Uh, That's cool. But he also seems – I want to be very careful how I word this. Um, he seems a little off, to be totally honest, In in like not a bad way. But like I think he uh I think he lives off like um like a sag type um like a sag uh,
4: not, pension or something. Yeah,
3: not, maybe not a pension, but and I think he lives with his mother. Mu- I mean it it's uh, I'm not I, I think there's a reason why we don't see a lot of Eddie Deason in movies right now. Mm. He's Malvin in the movie, right? Uh he yes, Malvin. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing name. <laughs> Sometimes Malvin pees red. Malvin and Jim coming to you. <laughs> And of course, the other uh, major surprise in this most recent uh, revisit is Michael Madsen appearing in the very opening scene, and he, almost completely unrecognizable—a youthful-looking Michael Madsen. It's like someone just yanked him by his feet and just just unwrinkled him.
4: <laughs> yeah, that was the first time I noticed this too.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a it's it's baby-faced Michael Madsen. You know, he was in a movie in like 1986 called Blood Red with uh, Eric Roberts <laughs> hey, and Julia Roberts. Um, and in that movie, that's that, you know, he's he's incredibly young in that. And it's not it's not easy. Yeah, sorry, I'm not, I'm not used to seeing a young looking Michael Madsen. But here, I mean, this is a good four years before that when this was made. Boy, very young, very young Michael Madsen.
4: So, yeah, at the beginning of the movie, Michael Madsen and I uh, didn't catch the name of the the, ma- the captain. That I believe he... it's
3: it's John Spencer, not the Blues Explosion guy, just uh, <laughs> the uh, the actor, John Spencer, who who actually passed away I think, yeah, in like the 2000s. Oh, as Jerry, that's it. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was on the West Wing, and uh, I think that's where a lot of people would recognize him. And,
4: and John Spencer shows up a little
3: bit later during the changing of the guard. It's an interesting, I mean, the central message of this movie, there's a few of them, right? Uh, the big one, of course, is that a nuclear war is not a war that can be won. But the other one is that we should not leave major decisions to technology because they are cold and unfeeling. And even though people can can hesitate in these key moments, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Handing everything over to Skynet.
4: I, I've been told that that doesn't turn out too well for humanity.
3: I feel like this was a formative movie for Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see if it's like, this is what's going to happen. This we have to stop this from occurring.
4: So John Spencer and Michael Madsen show up at what looks like a house. Ha- I, I don't really know what they're trying to trick people with. You know, I guess if you just make it look like it's a house on the outside. Cool. But then you go in and it's like half a living room with an elevator door. <laughs> so it it doesn't really continue the facade. <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they do the cool show in their IDs through the mirror thing that you see in a lot, especially a lot of earlier, for some reason, uh, True Lies comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Donna's dad from that 70s show lets them in. And they're just talking about pot, getting good pot. Uh, yeah. The, the captain says it makes Ty Stick feel like goddamn oregano. <laughs> you know they're just dudes going to work and oh but they work in a missile silo back <laughs> when that was another thing that sort of that came out uh in one of the documentaries somebody was talking about how tense and how crazy it was back in the Reagan years cuz sure he was very hawkish possibly even more hawkish than that dangerous Hillary Clinton and um
3: <laughs> admittedly part of that might have been the brain damage
4: That is very true. And they said, you don't understand how tense this. The documentary was made in the early
3: thousands. Well, well, sorry. You know, he did say well a lot.
4: He did. He said, "Well, well, Nancy and I, we're
3: thinking about nuking the Ruskies. She was checking the horoscope this morning. Well, boy, but I lost my Reagan impression very quickly there. But yes, it was it was a very tense period. I'm sure for people who were uh, conscious of what was going on. But.
4: They said you wouldn't believe it. The doomsday clock was at four minutes till midnight. As of recording right now. Do you do you remember when they, they announced the change and where the doomsday clock rests right now?
3: Uh, I remember when they uh, announced it. It actually wasn't too long ago of the time that we were recording. Uh, we're recording this. I believe it is two minutes to midnight as of the year 2018. So yes, we would not know I, what it was. I like remember 24. it well because there was a lot of Iron Maiden being posted on my uh, on my <laughs> Facebook page around that time. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a scary time to be alive. Uh, but um, frankly, it's been a scary time to be alive for just about as long as I remember at this point.
4: Yeah, that that that's been one of the the recurring statements is that while it may I mean it is especially here it is embarrassingly bad, but it's not like it's new. It's just trumpified. <laughs> I guess, which is not a good thing. It, you know, we don't want to be Trump stakes. We don't want to be the USFL.
3: We don't want to be one of the many things that was gutted out and destroyed. I have a question for you, disconnected from war games for a moment. You're in mm-hmm. Ohio, is that correct? Yes, sir. Now, the the there was a a pretty major story this past week that is getting a lot of traction and a lot of anger about a student that was a victim of a school shooting in Ohio. Who um, on the uh, on, on the day where the students were walking out, he walked out and he has gotten detention. For that, how is that story playing in Ohio itself, or at least your part of Ohio? Are people are like, are they sympathetic to this kid for the most part? Do you find?
4: From what I've seen, for the most, and it's been getting confused a little bit with another kid, right? Um Who was, uh, was- his? His dad said that he was suspended for not participating right. in the walkout. And he posted a picture with their home phone number on it, which is great to do on the internet when you talk about controversial things. Uh-huh. That uh, is a little bit of quick side story to get that part of the way, because I don't know how much it's, the r- initial story was that, was my son was suspended for not taking part in the protest. That was, you could either protest or you had to go to one of the rooms where they were having study hall. And he said, no, I'm staying right here in this room. And they said, well, you got to go to one of them. And he said no. And then he got a sus- suspension or detention because there weren't going to be any teachers in that room. Apparently, the kid that uh, was shot in his cafeteria for taking part
3: in what well, he, <laughs> he wasn't, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they do now. Um, <laughs> that's what he that's what happens when you give the
4: teachers guns, right? Yep. <laughs> I mean, after Columbine. American schools hired thousands of disciplinary officers with guns, and really, all mm-hmm. that's resulted in is a lot of black and brown kids getting beat up by cops in school for saying yeah. no to teachers and shit. But uh, the kid that was shot in his cafeteria that took part in the protest and that got punished—most of the sentiment that I'm seeing is that he is relatively supported,
1: as much as any,
4: as much as anybody else. Yeah, I would. His dad said it was cool. His dad. I think his dad
3: said that statement that dad said was pretty great, which is that, you know, it's not a protest that people are not trying to fight against you. So, I mean, he's fine with his son getting his detention and he supports his son entirely, which, you know what? That's exactly what a fucking dad should say outside of saying, fuck this school. Let's burn it all down, which, again, I support that idea, too.
4: And, you know, he said he wasn't even going to take part in the protest. Until it was announced that you would get in trouble for doing it.
3: I mean, that's that's a badass kid. And I, I feel like this is the year where it's really crystallized both the value of protest and the kind of people who fight against what protest means and try to uh, not only disassemble it, but also sort of almost try to shame people into not doing it, where it's just like, you know, this your entire country, like literally your country is based on protest. It is the only way to make any sort of real, lasting change, and the people who fight against it are inevitably—and I don't want to look—I I don't want to b- paint with a broad br- brush here—but they're inevitably the worst people in the goddamn world. <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, prove me fucking wrong. Is what I'm saying, <laughs> right? You think those kids shouldn't have gone out and, and marched? Well, they did, and uh, and and. <laughs> Look, sorry, I'm 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 still choking a little bit on these editorials ab- about um, h- how boycotting things is somehow now uh, a bullying as opposed to a mass statement uh, of people trying to instill their will on somebody or something or a you know a a piece of capitalism and it's just like well fuck it you know. Boycott is really one of the only powers we have left as a mass of humans Just like unions are one of the only powers that we have left against these these huge structures that we have no other power against right? I mean we have to stick together and if we can work together on mass That's how we're going to get past these fucking idiots who are trying to destroy us. Sorry. I I, this is a call to action people listening right now (laughs) (laughs) Unionize your workplace March out tomorrow, actually not tomorrow, of the day that we're recording this, that would be Easter Sunday, probably would be an empty gesture, wait till the next workday, and yeah, march en masse, and then take over, take over your workplace.
4: (laughs) Yeah, this, I mean, this will come out on a Tuesday or a Wednesday pretty soon,
3: Uh, so, yeah. Look, I get, I get it that me just saying that. Uh, there's no real, uh, uh, consequence for me (laughs) in regards to it, but uh, believe me, I support you wholeheartedly, but, uh, but no, seriously, you know, tell everyone that you encounter how much you make, make sure that they all know the perks that you get in your job, make sure that everyone is getting the equal perks. And if they're not, then you guys should unionize.
4: I, a lot of, a lot of places of employment, I'm sure it's the same everywhere, but here it's easy to say, because we are one of the better, worst examples of a capitalist society, your boss can't tell you that you can't talk about how much you make. Right. That's, that's the thing that people think that their boss can make them do. Now also your boss can fire
3: you for pretty much everything. Exactly. They can find an excuse to do it. Even if it's not technically for that thing, which again is the fear that a lot of people live under, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of problems in the world right now. So let's talk about something a little more pleasant. Global thermonuclear war global thermonuclear war
4: so uh michael madsen and john sensor blues john spencer blues explosion (laughs) are underground talking about pot when they the government decides they don't know this but it's a test to see how ready the soldiers are to kill everyone and uh john spencer isn't he gets a feeling he gets the feeling that you know you hope. People in charge of such things get with i i want to hear this from another person not a computer and like he does so well in many movies michael madsen points a gun at his head
3: <laughs> and he says are you gonna bark all day little doggy <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's what, the part what I, that they cut out of the movie was how, how <laughs> messy that silo was at the end. Get that straight I, razor.
3: What I love most about that opening sequence is that it then it, it has the, the height of tension. Then it just cuts into the opening credits, which actually has some pretty wacky music, kind of hot, upbeat uh, military style music playing behind it. And it's not until after the opening credits that it's confirmed that that was just a test. So it kind of leaves you in suspense waiting for kind of confirmation about what the hell that opening was all about.
4: 22%. The 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 meeting of the minds. I guess what Dabney Coleman represents what did he How does he say it? Take take the people out of the equation?
3: Yeah, basically. I mean, you can it if you if you're thinking of it in the 1950s sci-fi movie sense, you have your side of military guys, science guys. In those movies, the science guys were always wrong. In this movie, military guys versus computer guys. The computer guys are wrong in this one.
4: <laughs> the Whopper, the uh, War Operation
3: Planned Response Machine. Holy shit, that's, I don't know if that's from memory, but that's pretty impressive all to say. I should say that there's more nuance than just the computer guys are the bad guys. Dabney Coleman is the bad computer guy, but he's not even a bad guy, he's just trust the computers too much, we, of course, get Dr. Dr. Falcon, who is a lot more kind of humanist in regards to how he feels about computers. And he's the good computer guy who kind of finds a balance between the military guys and the bad computer guy.
4: (laughs) He seems like, uh, I think later on, we find out that he and Falcon at one point worked together. I don't know if they were lab partners or if they were just paired together in this well they wrote a
3: paper they wrote a paper together that apparently was quite influential right uh yeah dave david found it
4: in his extensive dewey decimal based research
3: (laughs) i don't know where this kid gets all this expendable income for all these photocopies but hey good on him
4: yeah and living in seattle too that's never really been a cheap
3: city in which to live (laughs) When he was going through all the passwords, I said, ah, forget this. I'm going to go invent grunge music. He had (laughs) enough
4: flannel shirts. (laughs) We We get the basic setup of NORAD, Cheyenne Mountain. Pretty accurate, except for, I guess, the screens were much higher tech than the computers that were being used at the time by the people that controlled the real missile defense system. And the room was a lot bigger.
3: I mean, that NORAD set in this movie is unbelievable. You can tell, you can see that they poured most of their money into it. It is a incredible, it must have been incredible to be on that set, even though a lot of those screens would have just been blank in reality. But I mean, it it really is a very, very impressive location.
4: Uh, USA versus Russia, the old story. But yeah, like you said, it starts, well, it continues, sorry, with Matthew Broderick in the arcade playing Galaga.
3: Yeah, Galaga.
4: Oh, so many quarters. They've got a Galaga machine at uh, one of the movie theaters by my house.
3: I grew up playing Galaxian instead of Galaga, and it wasn't until I was much older that I realized that everyone prefers Galaga to Galaxian, but I was not used to playing (laughs) Galaga, even though it's basically (laughs) basically the same goddamn game. But also, I think Galaxian's a cooler name, but hey, that's just me. That's just a controversial opinion I'm spouting on this podcast. (laughs) I don't think
4: I ever played that.
3: Is it... I think it was like a, an official sequel to Galaga. Yeah, I played it on the Atari, so I mean, who knows? I don't think I, I even ever played it on a stand-up uh, arcade machine. It's not that I necessarily spent a huge chunk of my childhood in a video game arcade, but it was a special place for me and my brothers growing up. And it's there's that instant nostalgia when you see that in a movie, oh, or really seeing even just seeing someone standing at one of those machines in a movie. Uh, it, it just is a very uh, distinctive uh, nostalgic feeling.
4: I wonder since we're we are now working under the assumption that Ferris Bueller is the f- the new identity given <laughs> to David after all this. Is that the game is Galaga, I wonder, the game that the uh
3: whatever, Lookalike? <laughs> that the lookalike was playing. <laughs> Look, I think if we kept at it. We could find a lot of interesting parallels between War Games and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (laughs) I mean, both of his parents worked in that one, too. Both of them were. I don't know if his I don't know what Matthew Broderick's father in War Games does. I know his mother works as like a um, uh, she sells houses, um, a retail agent or whatever, Um, like his
4: mother and Ferris Bueller.
3: Yeah, right. I think she does that in that as well. And his father in Ferris Bueller is like a businessman in the city. And maybe that's what the guy is here as well. So I feel like it's the same universe, just slightly uh, – a little bit different, right? I mean he has the computer. He does the hacking. Ferris Bueller just got – what happened is after this whole thing, everyone at school thought he was so fucking cool for almost destroying the entire world that he became you know, kind of this cultish figure in high school. And uh, he uh, dumped Ali Sheedy. Uh, got together with Mia Sara and, uh, the, and, and got a new best friend. Got a friend. Got a friend. That isn't some little kid that he, let's take over his game of Galaga. <laughs>
4: yeah. Or, or, uh, Malvin and Jim who That's are right. off doing their, their sitcom
3: spinoff. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I hope, <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't spend too much time alone with Malvin to be totally honest with you.
4: <laughs> There's a girl over there. <laughs>
3: Uh, but yes, uh, they, (laughs) it does start in a video game arcade, which, um, a lot of these eighties movies involving young people, they, they had their finger on the pulse. That's where young people were in video game arcades.
4: Well, he was late for, I guess he was on lunch. His, his school had open lunch. I don't know what you did. If you, um, if your school had (laughs) open lunch,
3: (laughs) I grew up in Newfoundland um, here in Canada, where not only did my school – look, you could go and do what you wanted in at lunch, but my school was in the middle of goddamn nowhere. If you wanted to walk to a like convenience store, it would probably be at least a 20 to 30-minute walk just to get there, and then you'd have to get back <laughs> again. So that just wasn't happening.
4: <laughs> so... Finding your way through lumberjacks, bears, and hockey players. <laughs> I'll just say something like that. <laughs> Uh, that God. Well, my American is showing. <laughs> Newfoundland.
3: Nope. Would <laughs> yeah. close, but no cigar. No, yeah. Please continue. <laughs>
4: um, would be what something that someone who thinks they found it sailing from the east would have called a place like that.
3: Yeah, I mean that's the uh, the story that we're all told uh, is that when John Cabot, you can't see my fingers making quotation marks, discovered uh, Newfoundland <laughs> after after the indigenous people and the uh, Vikings had already been there for a very long time. Um, <laughs> that they said, "Oh, it's a Newfoundland," which again, it's like what what a boring fucking thing to say. Let's call it a Newfoundland. But anyway, it's. Uh,
1: they finally got there, said, ah, this is where our God has brought us to. We can we can practice our religion here. We can raise a family. There's nobody here. Excuse me. There's nobody here. Yes, a land empty of human existence. Who the fuck are these guys? No, we don't want any of your food, thank you very much. Just put some clothes on. Meanwhile, that winter, excuse me, do you have any food? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, we're a bit brusque when we first arrived. <laughs> We didn't realize you owned the entire country. (laughs) But you have no system of ownership. Hmm, interesting. Um, maybe that can come in useful later. Food, thank you very much. Very nice. Yes, there's more of us coming, but we all keep our promises.
3: (laughs) I I love Newfoundland very much, and I go back whenever I can. And it is an island, so uh, I grew up in a very kind of remote place to some extent.
4: (laughs) Okay, so you did not go to the arcade.
3: I did. I did go to the arcade, but it was uh, infrequently. There was one when I was very young uh, that I could walk to, but most of the time it was something where, you know, when we went to the mall um, out in St. John's, which is the major city in my part of Newfoundland, uh, you would go and and spend a lot of time in the arcade then. But not on your lunch break at school. Uh, My lunch break at school? uh, No, you could walk around in dirt in our prison-like high school, but for the most part, you're just kind of hanging around. Go out into the yard. That's, that's, that's right. You just walk in a circle around the building for 20 minutes and then you go back in. There's one tetherball
4: in the middle. So he, yeah, he's, he's running late, but he doesn't want to give up that high score that he's going to get and put, you know, butt or ass or dick <laughs> or, or whatever he would do for the initials. The little kid probably did that for him. And where what's the little kid doing? Isn't he supposed to be in school too?
3: Maybe. Uh, no, I can't make it. Maybe he's homeschooled. <laughs> okay,
4: he lives at the arcade. His parents run it. <laughs> you wouldn't think he'd be so excited about the free games, then. Well, maybe that far. Maybe maybe that was
3: it. It was how far he was. Um, <laughs> Derek, we're going to go into the movie in this amount of fucking detail. We are literally going to be here the rest of the day.
4: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we we've already ta- we've already talked about the dick teacher. I really liked the um, after the teacher was a dick he opens himself up for a smart-ass comment with...
0: All right, Lightman. Maybe you could tell us who first suggested the idea of reproduction without sex. Um, your wife? (laughs) Get out, Lightman.
3: Apparently, I I, I don't know if they mentioned that in the documentaries, that the laughter that you hear in that scene is partially from the crew, who actually (laughs) did not know that this was going to be the line and uh, and in fact, it is kind of a weird, you can hear kind of like a uh, uh, the laughter of what sounds like older people in that sequence. But maybe that, that could be a uh, apocryphal tale.
4: <laughs> yeah, I liked that they they were a little freewheeling with, with the production of this. They let Barry Corbin, uh, the yes. general, he got to ad-lib a lot of his stuff. Like the, <laughs> the I'd piss on a spark plug if <laughs> I we were doing it
3: good. <laughs> That's a line that I felt had to be ad-libbed. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah, that, I, there was a... I'm not even going to try to tell it. If I, if I can st- snag a clip of it, I will. But there's a story behind the piss on a spark plug. Line. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, yeah. So they sort... Uh, Ali Sheedy and Broderick bond a little bit over getting treated like shit by their teacher who is supposed to be educating them and encouraging them to do better in science. What They, they go back to his house soon after? Or is it that day?
3: Uh, she gives him a ride home on her motorcycle and she comes in then. So it's the same day. And
4: I I liked how his room was messy and he sort of running around trying to put shit away. And this was the first scene that they shot with the new director. Oh,
3: okay. Who Um, was the
4: original, who was the original director? I'm spacing on it, but he went on the next movie he did was huge.
3: I'm looking at it right here. It was Martin Brest who went on to do Beverly Hills cop afterwards. Yes. And he, he was replaced with John Badham, who uh, was best known then for Saturday Night Fever, would go on to, to redirect uh, Ali, Ali Sheedy in Short Circuit just a few years afterwards. Mm,
4: nice software. <laughs>
3: yeah, The man had a, an interesting career, to say the least, John Batham. I mean, it, it there's uh, dizzying highs and shocking lows. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Is is it just me? Uh, I feel like I've brought this up a couple times, but I, it took me forever before I realized that Steve Gutenberg told Johnny Five a kind of anti-Semitic joke to
3: figure out if he was alive. Wait, racism in a short circuit movie? You've got to be kidding me! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they could have gone
4: all the way for it and had uh, Fisher Stevens tell the joke.
3: That's right.
4: Oh, it's a connect. It's a weird expanded universe. He <laughs> took off his brown face and was in Hackers.
3: And Ali Sheedy, she broke up with David Matthew Broderick, Broderick's character here, and she went on to date Steve Gutenberg in Short Circuit movies. It makes total sense. Yep. Poor wow, Ali Sheedy, by the way. What happened to her career? I was looking at her IMDb profile, and it just—it's actually a little sad what's happened in the last like few years.
4: With the last big thing she was really in was it? Short Circuit? Was that the last big? I know she was in um, something called High Art, which I haven't seen.
3: <laughs> I mean, Short Circuit. I mean, she's been in a lot of stuff since Short Circuit, but certainly, you know, for for what was a uh, 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 for who was a mainstream actress that everyone recognized because of the John Hughes movies. It's strange that by 1992, she was down to cameos in Home Alone 2, right?
4: Yeah, I didn't even remember that she was in Home Alone 2.
3: Me either. I'm trusting the IMDb in this one.
4: <laughs> she, Oh, she is um, She's a voice <gasps> on the phone or she's reading a postcard in Short Circuit 2. I have no idea what she was in in Home Alone 2. <laughs> she wasn't the pigeon lady, was she, I hope.
3: <laughs> Things fell on hard times. I mean, she was on the show... Psych as a regular uh, uh like a guest star on a few episodes. And she was I, re- I remember her in X-Men Apocalypse, but aside from that, um yeah, it's uh it's been slim pickings for the Ali Sheedy fans. I'm hoping hopefully she's just living her life doing well and enjoying herself. But you always worry, right? Because you know how Hollywood has a tendency to take any actress over thirty and just throw them to the fucking side.
4: Maybe maybe she'll have a bit of a, a resurgence like uh Jennifer
3: Jason Lee. Yeah. And not Jennifer Grey. (laughs) But everyone deserves a resurgence, I think. And it's certainly, you know, I say Ali Sheedy, Eric Roberts, let's make it happen.
4: You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) That's
3: right. (laughs) Give me credit on that one.
4: So he's trying to impress
1: Ali Sheedy
4: in his bedroom. (laughs) By showing her his his sweet
3: computer setup.
4: I'm going to be really cool and change our grades. Because fuck that guy. And this is when they sort of establish her as a bit more of the the level head i guess
3: at least briefly (laughs) yeah
4: yeah for a day maybe two days i think it was the same same school week but he gives he gives her an a and gives himself a c they shoot back a little bit towards the the politics of norad and missile defense and things really get kicked off when david starts working on his next hacking project which is to play some video games
3: yeah, so he finds an advertisement in a magazine saying that in Sunnyvale, California, that there is a video games company, so, and uh, and not to just speed through this part, Darren, but uh, he, he basically sets up his uh, computer to auto-dial all the numbers on the uh, area codes in that part of the country, so he can find all of the networks that are available, so he can try to hack into Sunnyvale's games company and uh, and play some free games. I mean, that's that's...
4: All I really remember doing with, well, except for the hacking part, but all I remember <laughs> doing with the Commodore 64, which is, <laughs> I think, the first computer that was in our house that I'm aware of was the Pixelated Golf,
3: and uh, I think there was some sort of tank games. I had a Commodore VIC-20, so I was playing a few text adventure games and nothing else at all. <laughs> <laughs> you kids don't understand. All
4: we had was Fraction Munchers and Oregon Trail.
0: Get on with it!
4: So, yeah, uh, he, he eventually thinks that he got into the video game computer. Chess, I don't know. Falcon's maze, I don't know what that is. Tic-tac-toe. The symbolism of tic-tac-toe plays heavily <laughs> later on in the game.
3: Oh, remember, there is no tic-tac-toe listed. Oh, that's right, because remember at the end, he says it has to be, <laughs> Dr. Falcon says it has to be in there somewhere, <laughs> basically. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's what allows him to get in without a password, because uh, we should mention that. In order to try to hack in and to get into this account, he finds out that um, from his nerd friends uh, that he needs to find a back door, which is a simple password that will that the creator of the system would have made to allow people in. He investigates the creator, which is Dr. Falcon, finds out everything he can find out about him, including the fact that he's dead and that he had a son named Joshua, and uh, Joshua ends up being the name that allows him into the system. Yes. No, the, son is also, the son is also dead, by the way. <laughs> yeah. This is
4: such a cheery movie, but it is what I promised. It is more of a cheerful movie than the last discussion that we had.
3: What 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 was the
4: last discussion? The last discussion we had was about all the rapists and monsters in
3: Hollywood and Washington. Oh, the, oh, you mean the last discussion we had? Yeah, no kidding. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> this is positively cheery material. <laughs> hey, look. You know what? The whole. The, the whole of the United States could have been destroyed and everyone wiped out, but at least that would mean Harvey Weinstein is dead too. No more plants to
4: jerk off into. That's right. Pile of shit. <laughs> uh, I, since we've had that discussion, uh, what? The Weinstein Corporation was bought and is mm-hmm. filed for bankruptcy, and they released everyone from their non disclosure
3: agreements. And about 500 sexual predators have been revealed since then as well. And more by the day.
4: I just heard about um, the Ren and Stimpy guy. I think probably from you. Uh,
3: Possibly. Uh, Yeah, he uh, he, uh, apparently preyed on the uh, very young women that he was promising to help with their career. And uh, I mean, frankly, he's always been a renowned piece of shit. But this was the first kind of thing to this level. And uh, yeah, so... That's another one to add to the pile. And look, I get it, man. I get that now we're getting to – we're past the point where there's been a rebellion to the Me Too movement, where, especially in Europe, where they seem to just dismiss the thing outright. But uh, I'll tell you what, uh, all the people being accused so far, I mean, we understand that the legal system fails women and, and really anyone accusing anyone of sexual impropriety. Constantly. We know it happens all the time. And uh, it's not like the, the first few names that came out that uh, we're all just shaking our heads like, oh, this couldn't be true. A- at this point, we know most of them are true because most of the people had to admit it in some way or then multiple accusations came out. Um, all I'm saying is that you should believe women. And uh, it, at this point, it could, should come to no su- uh, no surprise to anybody that most of the men in Hollywood use their position to prey on other people. It's a tough, shitty industry, full of really shitty people. Anyway, back <laughs> to back to the movie that we watched. <laughs> yeah.
4: Back back to something a little bit more simple, like uh, global thermonuclear war. Uh.
3: <laughs> so David hacks into this system to play some games, um, and uh, and him and Ali Sheedy they play what they think is just a simple, you know, kind of goofy game where you can set up. Missiles to launch between you You choose between either the US or Russia you send missiles back and forth and there are subs all over the screen I don't understand what they thought like the game aspect of it was but what they do end up doing is uh, setting off at NORAD um, uh, What what their computer sees as an actual attack and They manage to catch it right before it ends up going to the point of no return at least they think so and they shut it down and, um, it's a simulation. It's a simulation. Yeah, that guy <laughs> runs in, and that leads to them um, eventually tracking down David because the computer Joshua calls him back Would because you it like is a to play a game. It is a learning computer, so it learns from its own mistakes. So what we find out is that the game never stops; it's just finding ways around the the different kind of uh, um, barriers that are put in front of it to still try to continue the uh, the game of U.S. versus Russia uh, global, global thermonuclear war. So the uh, they capture David and bring him to NORAD and basically shame him and accuse him of being uh, an espionage spy. Uh-
0: <laughs> Do you know where you are? My guess is I'm in the clutches of the angry pink menace. <laughs> I am Suvana. We will be spending much time together. You'll get nothing from me but my scorn. Tom, you will be brainwashed! Me? America's son? Ha! That will be a challenge. Our enemies are all those in league with imperialism. The bureaucrats, the big landlord class, and the reactionary section of the intelligentsia attached to them. Our enemies are all around us. We must always be on our guard. Sure, we'll lose a lot of snooze time, but that's okay. We'll catch up after the revolution's Uh, over. That's enough, Tom.
3: And he does what anyone should do in that situation. He escapes using his wits.
4: <laughs> yeah, that was genius. I, I remember thinking that part was so cool when I was a kid. I mean, you—they. I don't know why they always leave the easiest to fool <laughs> person guarding the person that's going to escape. But I guess that's how that works.
3: Speaking of sexual predators, by the way, that guy was harassing uh, the the secretary pretty hardcore. So fuck him.
4: That guy's fucking creepy. I'm surprised right. he didn't point his gun at her and ask for her phone number.
3: Yeah, no kidding. He was like generally interested about her tennis, uh, and then started a conversation, and I guess he recognized her interest as being some sort of sexual interest in him, and then he wouldn't leave her the fuck alone, which is basically the story that happens every day, everywhere. She gave
4: me all these signs like saying go yeah, right? away and leave me alone and She was playing hard to get. Trying to do what tell her work. To
3: get the fuck away from. Me.
4: So yeah, he he escapes. Finds a payphone. Those are hard to find nowadays, but they still exist.
3: <laughs> I mean, yes, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> but you know, this was nineteen eighty three. I liked how this one was like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Where was he at the time that he got to uh, uh, Colorado? I think is where he was at the time that he he, he makes this phone call. And that is
4: uh, that's where Cheyenne Mountain is. For some reason, I thought it was in Wyoming when we started watching this movie. <laughs> or uh I, I don't know why Wyoming is relatively fat flat. As far as I can remember, I don't know why I, there would be a giant mountain that can withstand a near miss from a 10 megaton nuclear missile.
3: <laughs> but yeah, so he, he, call, he <laughs> calls ahead. Ali Shidi to beg her for the plane ticket, as we mentioned before. And he ends up getting, where does he get the plane ticket uh to somewhere in Oregon in, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, And she ends up meeting him there because, as she said, it was just a few hours drive to beat him.
4: So, yeah, it's doable, but it is really weird that she would drive. I guess that's where uh, she also left the script in the original draft.
3: Oh, I mean, I can see how they would want to... Bring her back into the fold. I did like that they have a single line where she is concerned that all the trouble that he's in is because he <laughs> changed her grades. Which again, it's kind of a nice thing because it explains why she would go to such effort to reconnect with him.
4: Are you in trouble because of me? No, I started World War Three. <laughs> Oopsie doodle. <laughs> oh, there's egg on my face. <laughs> It's always kind of interesting to see airports and movies in the '80s, because I didn't start traveling in planes, you know, because you know my parents, we drove everywhere in the Volkswagen bus, and uh-huh. then I was in a band forever, so we went everywhere in the van. I started flying after nine eleven, so Me I don't. Too. I don't. My know first my
3: first flight before. ever was in uh, early two thousand two, <laughs> so <laughs> I know I know exactly what you're talking about
4: checked three times you know yeah uh, take off your boots yep take off your boots let me swab you with this weird material and check you for bomb residue patch down go through this weird x-ray machine
3: (laughs) but this one not only is he allowed just to just to walk out of the the plane afterwards but she just like rushes up to see him (laughs) yeah just like you can do whatever you want man no one's paying attention no there's two cops sort of looking around they're
4: talking you walk straight from the plane across the whole runway through a basic glass door i wonder somebody's got to have written a book about the movies or at least depictions of certain things pre and post 9-11 but we're not talking about that yet because i have done no research on that um (laughs) so yeah She met him. She comes back into the script because, yeah, she was just going to send him money, and that was going to be it uh, for her. His
3: plan, by the way, is that he's going to find Dr. Falcon, who he's discovered is actually alive under a different name. Uh, He's living on an island in Oregon. He's going to find him. He's going to get Falcon basically to explain everything that's going on to the higher-ups at NORAD to get himself out of trouble, which is – now, you know, it's a pretty reasonable plan if indeed he can find Falcon, who, again, they have – uh he's basically got his burn notice (laughs) (laughs) he he is he is uh uh living in isolation to some extent but i guess he is still getting his pension so good on him
4: what did he say they kind they nicely arranged for my death (laughs) he does his uh dismal why should we even all be alive speech about the dinosaurs (laughs) and I don't know why he had the projection screen so close to his fireplace but you know he's a scientist maybe he figured it out that it had to be so far away but like i said this is this is the part of the movie that i used to check out on when i was a kid and here is where we will take a quick break play a promo for a show maybe a nuclear war related song so yeah we'll be right back
1: My life fades. The vision dims. All that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos. Ruined dreams. Wasted land. But most of all, I remember the podcasts. The man we called Witch. To understand who he was, you have to go back to another time. A time when the Doomsday Clock ticked ever closer to Armageddon. You can still find The Witch vs. The Doomsday Clock Podcast by searching for WYCH on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Memories may decline, but movies live forever.
2: But it's just can The will They think they know it all. They don't die the world all. One one, 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 I'll no be us a there I go Come and see the violence inherent in the system Help help I'm being repressed
4: Okay That was a Are wonderful we? song
3: or promo. I loved it, boy. I was singing along the whole time,
4: boy. Howdy. <laughs> we, we played the audio clip from um, when Michael Madsen came back in when they were switching out the missile silos to be computerized and slashed everybody up and
3: <laughs> Steelers wheel playing in the background. <laughs>
4: <laughs> the missed opportunity of having Stephen Wright be the voice of the computer. <laughs>
3: But speaking of the voice of the computer, that is one of those. It's ridiculous that the computer has a voice. I know that that they try to explain it away a little bit in uh, in Matthew Broderick's uh, bedroom. The fact that in at like later in the movie it has a voice, I understand why they had to do that for uh, for plot reasons and because it's a movie. But that is probably as far in terms of ridiculous aspects of it. That and the uh, extent of. How the AI works is probably, you know, maybe for some audiences it would be a bridge too far and maybe why I kind of thought of it in this science fiction vein as a kid. But of course, you know, AOL instant messenger bots were only a few years away.
4: <laughs> True. And I guess for the people that it was done for, they wouldn't think about it because I guess the, uh, originally they were trying to figure it out and they, they were talking about how a lot of people wouldn't put the effort in to read what's going on on the computer screen. Of course, of
3: course. Right. (laughs) Honey, computers can talk now. Apparently that's just something they can do.
4: They can talk. And how do we make it sound more like a computer? They had the uh, Falcon, the guy uh, that played Falcon did the voice (laughs) and he's, they had him say all the words backwards. So it would, so it would sound more like a computer, I guess.
3: And and it's he's, hard because this is he's one of the first. intelligibly, uh, yeah. Backwards. He's he's a good backwards talker.
4: <laughs> well, I guess it was just the words backwards. Like instead of "Hello, Doctor Falcon," it's "Falcon, Doctor, Hello." Oh,
3: okay. Instead <laughs> of instead of
4: instead of Twin Peaks backwards talk,
3: <laughs> that is a lot less impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I guess they just wanted a little bit of that change and in inflection on how you say words at the beginning and end of sentences and stuff like that. But yeah, it's and it's hard to separate for me because I'm not very technologically learned. And I'm almost 100 percent sure that a computer talking in my brain is from this
3: movie. Yeah, no kidding. Right. It, it became that voice. It's, it's either that or the Stephen Hawking Voice, which is kind of interesting, you know, the idea that this character clearly based on Stephen Hawking, uh, and also a, there's a computer voice aspect to it. Yeah, so many layers to global thermonuclear
4: war. <laughs> yeah, I, I know we've said this a couple times, but I, I dig this. We're not done. Sorry, I, no, I'm not <laughs> wrapping up.
3: Uh, <laughs> they all die. It's, yeah, it's a real mess. Anyway. Yeah. See they, you next time.
4: They're on Falcon's Island. A helicopter shows up. It's not Falcon. It's the government. They kill everybody, wipe their hands. <laughs>
3: on we go. He, he yells, get to the chopper. <laughs>
4: Come on.
3: We got to get off this Falcon Island.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, if it was still directed by the guy that did Beverly Hills Cop. Maybe.
3: This is a PG rated movie. So there's a lot of shits and uh, no fucks. No fucks to give. No <laughs> fucks to <laughs>
4: And yeah, John Wood as Stephen Falcon starts out giving no fucks. But again, Ali Sheedy, I'm only 17. I'm not ready to die yet. And I guess that's, is that what, what was it that, I mean, neither of them really had very inspirational speeches, but I mean, I guess they are high school kids.
3: I think the fact that they were just, yeah, they were just the fact that they were young people that they reminded him enough about his own son. I mean, I kind of like that it's unspoken. It's just that he goes upstairs to go to bed, and he looks a little traumatized, and within the time that he's upstairs, he makes the decision, okay, I'm going to do something about this. And
4: he's got a helicopter, apparently.
3: <laughs> yes. Uh,
4: <laughs> part of his severance package.
3: And enough connections uh, still in the military to fucking race them to NORAD once they get there. They're
4: closing, because yeah, Joshua has continued to play the game. There's recurring countdown clocks to estimated launch they're blasting up the road in uh, a jeep crashing through the gate the woman that comes out hold the fucking door and they get in pretty she just says they're clear they're safe or whatever uh,
3: why did we let these two kids in here <laughs> i well, guess we'll save the save uh the future of humanity in this big solid room dr strange love said it was okay he's like man
4: What we will do is the lambs will be
0: slaughtered!
4: (laughs) We could survive for 20 years. Mein Uh, Fuhrer. We
3: we should make a mention as well that um, when they were back on Falcon's Island, he brings up the the tic-tac-toe idea, the idea that tic-tac-toe is a game that as you get older, you won't play anymore because there's no way to win. It's always a stalemate, which becomes a apt metaphor for not only war as a whole, but also it uh, plays into how uh, the movie ends. Yes. Spoiler alert for about five minutes from now.
4: Right? Yeah. So they get in. Everybody's ready. They're pretty sure that this is the real deal. General Barringer is chewing his tobacco. And getting, getting the scrambling, the scrambling, the, the fighters. And, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's scrambling the eggs. Dabney Coleman is hung up in his office by um, Lily Tomlin and Dolly Parton. And Jane Fonda. I don't know. I mean, I've heard that Cheyenne Mountain is cavernous, no pun intended, but I don't, uh, luckily they got there just in time with that very slowly closing door. but uh, one of the things that i did like about this is in the countdown you know how usually they cut away for a second they show people's reactions and everything and they go back to the countdown and no time has passed that usually drives me fucking bonkers (laughs) they they kept the countdown correct in this falcon it's like hey everybody don't act like assholes (laughs) does it make any sense That, that that was what he says it's like does it make any sense that in this mutually assured time of destruction. Absolutely right. That Russia would just be like, fuck you. We're just going to end it all right now. And the they they call up the people that are supposed to get hit with the first.
3: So what happens is basically Barry Corbin, who plays the, the general, this logic that Falcon says to him about why would anyone do this doesn't make any sense is enough to convince him to call off the U.S. side of the attack. So then he calls up the places that are supposed to be struck first, has representatives on the phone uh, with him, and waiting on the screen as the nukes hit. And then they hit, and then the men are still there. And they're all very excited to still be alive. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the third guy who was just, wasn't even supposed to be like the the on-site uh, uh, representative, just was some dude working there. And he was like, I'm still alive. Oh, my God.
4: <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here today.
3: Yeah, exactly. And then they think, like, everyone celebrates as if, okay, the danger is past, but the game is still going because uh, Joshua, the computer system, is trying to figure out the launch codes itself by using, like, random number generators. So they have to somehow stop Joshua, and you can't just unplug the computer for reasons that are just, that are as only go as far as we can't do that.
4: <laughs> we can't do that. They would think that our power was taken out by a
3: strike. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It it would recognize that as them being taken out and then would launch automatically, which seems like a really bad plan for potential power outages.
4: Especially, you know, Colorado gets gets some snow, uh, I hear.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So for those who haven't seen this movie, and uh, you probably would be able to figure out how all of what we've talked about leads up to this moment, Joshua's trying to figure out the numbers. He has 10 digits. It's it's solving them one at a time, and they have to somehow uh preoccupy him or change him uh from this path. They do that with a game of tic-tac-toe, which because he's a learning computer, he realizes that there's no way to win, which again is an apt metaphor for war, and uh and uh everything explodes because it's a movie, because <laughs> all the computer power is being used up. And then Joshua comes on the main screen and he's like, What he says something like, What an odd game. The only way to win is not to play. <gasps> Maybe we should give up war altogether. Maybe we should throw all of our nukes away. Didn't play out like that, unfortunately.
4: <laughs>
3: How about a nice game of chess?
4: Yeah. So before uh, I let you say,
3: we, we have to more... mention Ali Sheedy. Then gives a big smooch on Matthew Broderick's uh, uh, mouth, uh, confirming their uh, their relationship. Very I, very chaste I, movie in some ways.
4: <laughs> it is. There's there's a playfulness throughout. I just noticed this time through. When his dad, whatever he does besides bitch about the trash and the corn, uh, is cleaning up the garbage outside and he's running around trying to do shit and she, she traps him with her legs.
3: Oh, that's right. That, yeah. Which is, you know, there's a suggestion there. And also his dad yelling at him when he has a girl up in the room, uh, giving him hand stuff or mouth stuff, uh, to come down and figure. And also his mother inviting her to a barbecue that night. Which you want to invite a... your
4: little friend? <laughs>
3: They don't recognize that their son is growing up, but what what more, uh, what more symbolic way of growing up than almost causing a, uh, a nuclear strike and then preventing it, and then almost causing it again and then preventing it again?
4: All to impress a woman and play a video game. Yeah,
3: right. It was so much easier when you were just playing Goldeneye on Nintendo 64.
4: Except for that one person that camps in the corner and just...
3: Oh. You are not being odd job, Ali Sheedy. That is not allowed in this game.
4: Everybody's happy. A crisis averted for yeah. now.
3: War over for all times. Yep. <laughs> Unless war were declared. What's that? War were declared. And and you could just see Gorbachev watching this movie and is like, yes, this is a good idea. I'm gonna take this whole system down.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and since this movie, uh, the main operation center for NORAD has been moved above ground.
3: Sure, it has. Wink. <laughs>
4: yeah they're they're keeping they're keeping Cheyenne Mountain just in case someone figures out how how to take out the other one. Uh, that that was another thing that I noticed in one of the documentaries. They were really looking forward to the relocation in 2007. Thankfully, to Professor Falcon, we don't play Tic-Tac-Toe. That's the big message of this movie is Tic-Tac-Toe is pointless.
3: Because of Dr. Falcon, we were able to grow up to do podcasting. (laughs) What would he think if he knew what was happening right now? It's it's War Games from the year 1983. It is, in some ways, it feels very ahead of its time and in other ways, extremely of its time.
4: It definitely traveled through time better than a lot of movies, I think, that I've revisited from my childhood. Not all of them, of course. I mean, you can't beat Monster Squad, no matter what year it is. (laughs) No,
3: kidding. It's going to slot it really nicely between Flight of the Navigator and Last Starfighter.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had a little bit more trouble with Last Starfighter last time I watched it.
3: It, uh... There are, you know, you mentioned the segment when they get to Falcons Island in this movie that you kind of tune out. There's several moments and sequences in Last Starfighter where I tune out and it's just like, ah, I like this part. And I like this part, but I don't like this part. very
4: much. <laughs> uh, so you uh, you you asked me and you've sort of touched on it. But how do you how do you feel about this movie now?
3: Uh, I l- really like it. I think it's actually terrific. I think it's very tense. I think there are moments of very. Uh, genuine humor throughout it. I think it treats the material seriously, but not too seriously. And it has a message that um, was, must've been very resonant in 1983 and it feels resonant again today. Um, And it's, it's scary to watch in some ways uh, because technology, the kind of technology that they're sort of warning against us putting in charge, you know, in a lot of ways are in charge in 2018 uh, is in charge, I should say. Um, And so it's, you know you worry about the the glitches and you worry about um the who has their fingers on the button, let's say. <laughs> um, my button and, is bigger. That's right. I mean, it's 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 a scary time to be alive. It's I can see how, with two global nuclear superpowers at the time and and the tensions being so high that it might have seemed more kind of immediate. But I feel like in some ways people are even more unhinged now and more extreme in some ways, and uh, and that makes it scary in sort of a slightly different way. But uh, I can actually, you know, I'm very curious about this modern remake because I could see it uh, being very really, very interesting and taking advantage of kind of modern hacker culture and anonymous style culture and maybe playing that into it. I don't know if that's how they they are going about it. It could also be just a huge chunk of shit. The fact is, most movies. Most mainstream Hollywood movies, when they're doing anything regarding hacking, they get it so wrong and so ridiculously wrong that you just – if you watch it two years later, you just end up laughing at it or sometimes even at the at the moment it comes out. So the fact that this holds up so well is a testament to the screenwriters uh, and really to John Battam as well who took that material seriously and didn't simplify it uh, to a, a massive extent just to make it easier for audiences.
4: I think – Everything you said was better than everything I had written down, so I will not try to. I will not try to add on to that. But,
3: yeah, but you liked it, eh?
4: <laughs> I did, uh, and it makes my job easier. To count to count on uh, my my guest's eloquence.
3: Well, the last time I was on, I had two other people on, very wonderful speakers, and I felt. I worried constantly throughout it that I was just going to drown them out because I just like to talk so much. But here, I don't have to worry about that. Darren, you invited me here to talk, and that's what I'm doing. I'm talking. <laughs>
4: Fuck yeah! And you did hit on that. I, it, it is a familiar, an old familiar and newly familiar sort of thing to think about Russia and U.S. and the arms race and everybody thinking. Or being ready. You know, um, one of the guys that worked on the movie, or I guess most of them, but only one of them talked about it, you know, growing up in the, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, where it was, you know, duck and cover and air raid drills. And Mm -hmm. you brought up Hawaii. (laughs) The prevailing conspiracy theory on that is that it wasn't an accident. It was a test Mm -hmm. to see how people reacted, which I don't know. I mean, our government... Is capable of doing many horrible things but i i don't know i i count on more things being by accident rather than on purpose when government's exactly. involved
3: absolutely and and honestly that's part of the message of this movie right i mean if shit's going to go down it it's just as likely if not more so that it'll be by accident that it'll be because the one person was looking the wrong way or pushed the wrong you know because whether it be the wrong person or wrong group of people or wrong software or wrong glitch in that software, it's it. There's so there's so many different moving parts, and everyone is so paranoid that things happen by accident. Trump spills his his Coca-Cola or his coffee right.
4: on his phone three o'clock in the morning while he's on the toilet
3: while reaching for some Fileo fish sauce.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps going back and forth with Russia. You know, he calls Putin to congratulate him on winning his last election after, what, preventing his main opponent from participating in the election and many other things. But then he... No, well, he's more escalating the nuclear thing with Rocket Man, which is (laughs) a great thing to call someone you're trying to not have a war with. You know, expelling Russian diplomats. Russia had that video where... Uh, they showed a missile going towards Florida Mm -hmm. and the screen goes blank. But, you know, uh, you know, it takes a despot to love a despot, I guess.
3: (laughs) I mean, the fact is, you know, Trump has promised to unite the world and he uh, has managed to do it. It's just that they're all united against him.
4: Oh, man. And the missile is called the Satan missile. (laughs) So many insecure people. I, I, I don't want to reduce it to genitalia. And he referred to my hands. If they're small, something else must be small. I guarantee
1: you there's no problem. I guarantee right.
4: There's a lot of things to be insecure about. And a he stable thinks, genius.
3: <laughs> I mean, the fact, you know, there's there was a tweet a long time ago, which is that he's like, he's he's like a cartoon version of what people think a rich man would be, right? He's rich uncle uh money bags or whatever from the monopoly game he you know he has these these maxims that he lives by one of them being never apologize for to anything for anything which those of us living in the real world know that that you can't possibly live like that that's that's idiotic and it's also it's also unfair to everyone that you surround yourself with but when you have lived in this privileged existence where you've never had to apologize for anything ever because you had the money to uh, force other people to apologize to you instead Then you never learn empathy. You never learn to think from anyone else's point of view. And he has never thought he was wrong about anything. And if if he ever did think that, he never said it out loud. And someone who thinks like that, that they are always right about every single decision they make and never second guess themselves, people mistake that for strength when it's really weakness.
4: Maybe Melania's anti-cyberbullying program (laughs) will – I don't even want to finish that. It's not going to.
3: It's it's a – you know you could it's a farce obviously right but it's like the unfunniest joke because all it is is people getting hurt every single day and then people defending it and their 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 limit and their line about what is acceptable has slid so far uh down that it's it's not only has trump fucked up this this generation of politics but i mean i don't know if there is ever a, a coming back from it because whenever and whoever comes next, or 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 whatever comes next, people will always point back to, well, what about when you defended this and this and this and this and this, and it just this never-ending list of just awful things that you just went along with and didn't say and didn't speak up, and this is like, how could we ever trust you again? Um, we're seeing this a little bit with the Roseanne thing, right? I mean, the fact is, she whatever uh, uh, liberal tendencies she had on her show d- does not ignore the fact that she believes in conspiracy theories and she has said terrible things and believes you know in crisis actors and all this awful horrible disgusting shit that if if in a different time and I'm not just talking about like 1950s I just mean just separated from this political zoo that's going on right now If you just thought about it for two seconds without this echo chamber and without the social media pressing on you, you'd be like, oh, no, that's ridiculous. What the fuck am I thinking? How could I possibly believe that? But it's just being fed. It's just this fire being fed every day. And it's just like, I don't want to be wrong. So I'm just going to find the things that say I'm not wrong and then I never have to be wrong. And it's just like, you know, we're all wrong sometimes. And it's okay to be wrong. And it's okay to say, oh, I fucked up. It's also okay to change your opinion. Uh, though I can say quite, quite clearly and quite, uh, confidently that my feelings on Donald Trump are not going to change.
4: I've never liked, I didn't like him
3: before he pretended yeah. to be a politician. Yeah. So. He's an, he was, he's, he was known for being an asshole. That's like his, his gimmick. So why would you want an asshole to be the person who's in charge of everything? Cause he just surrounds himself with more and bigger assholes, which is exactly what he's done. And those assholes are the kind of assholes that hurt the people that you love and care about
4: drain the swamp <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's t- i you know i i know that america does many shitty things but i've never felt so compelled to apologize for my country than i have in
3: a long time and it- Look, the thing is, and I I understand where you're coming from. I mean, you know, I had a lot of Americans apologizing when when George W. Bush was president, and I mean, yeah, and a lot of Americans apologizing when Obama was president uh, because the policies were still hurting innocent people, yeah. and that's just you know, it's a lot of built drone in... strikes. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's it again. It's the, the key to it. You know, it's nationalism and it's capitalism and it's the people on top not giving a shit about uh, the mass majority of people below them and able to convince a large enough number of those people that they do care that they'll just let it continue. But I mean, you know, it's, it's <laughs> to, to steal a line from, uh, for Donald Trump. It's, you know, it's, it's bad on both sides. Uh, and, and it's right now it's worse on one than another and you gotta do something about it. But I mean, I do feel like it's galvanizing and crystallizing something in the American people that's both very good because it really is making making people aware of what's going on and helping them uh, to take action. But it's also really bad because the people who support unwaveringly and without thought, they're digging in their heels so strongly and deeply that I don't think there's any coming back from it.
4: And on that cheerful note, <laughs> why don't you?
0: <laughs> Let's get uh, Joshua on the line. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
4: Let the people who did not yet go back and listen to the first episode you were on, uh, where where can people find your very unique output?
3: <laughs> uh, I uh, co-host two podcasts on the internet. One of them is the No Budget Nightmares podcast, where me and Mo Porn uh, look at in great detail ultra low budget micro budget diy cinema um these are not the things that you'll find on your local video store if that video store even still existed but um, a lot of unique uh, uh unknown pieces of cinema on that you can find out more about that at nobudgetpodcast.com or uh you can follow us on twitter at no budget podcast my other podcast is eric roberts is the fucking man uh, which focuses on the life and work of actor Eric Roberts. Uh, I co-host that with Liam O'Donnell. And you can find that at uh, ericrobertsistheman.com or on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. And you can also find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y.
4: Wonderful. I, I think the only things that I really want to add to this, besides check out Doug's stuff, check out his uh, Eric Roberts group. I don't know if Low Budget Nightmares has a group.
3: It, you can do a search for No Budget Nightmares on Facebook, and yes, there's absolutely a group. We've had a little bit of a, uh, a downtime because Mo has been having some internet issues down in the great state of Florida. But uh, by the time this comes, uh, this, this episode is released, we'll have just recorded our latest episode on the uh, Ghanaian action movie Who Killed Captain Alex.
4: And come to the Psycho-Semantic group. Search that on Facebook. Uh, it's in a lot of different... Uh, the, the show itself is in... If you're listening to this, you know how to find it. But uh, on War Games, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a movie that you should check out if you've never seen it. And if you have seen it, don't be afraid. It won't ruin your childhood or whatever people say <laughs> about you know going back to movies. It's always timely, especially uh, here in America. When they were writing it, they thought that maybe they were going too far-fetched that America would think that it was under attack. It could be a little bit of creation for documentary, but <laughs> the screenwriter said they turned on the TV and there was a news clip that for three minutes America thought it was under attack. So yeah. Yep. And cover. <laughs>